One of the sweet perks of working in a public school district is once summer comes along, you don't have a job, so you can do whatever the hell you want. So naturally, I thought, hey, I'm going to finally have time to jump in and do podcasting and music and writing and uh, exercise more and all that. To a certain extent, this has happened. Uh, I had a little bit of a, another issue to deal with, and that was I, I wanted to leave my job as a high school counselor and transfer over to the elementary school level, which is much closer to what I want to do um, as far as how I want to make a living. And I actually made that happen, so I'm excited that in the fall I'm going to be working at a local elementary school instead of the high school that I've been working at for this past year. And it's just going to enable me to do more of the things I like to do, actually work with kids, teach them social-emotional learning skills, um, do individual counseling, group counseling, crisis counseling, work with families. In high school, I wasn't able to do any of that. I was basically a guidance counselor, staring at a computer screen most of the day and scheduling classes and a lot of administrative stuff. It was definitely not my cup of tea, but... So for that first year after I got my second master's degree, I just sort of got my foot in the door to the school district and put my time in and waited for an elementary uh, position to open up. I applied for it a couple weeks ago and got it, so I'm super psyched about that. And so this fall I'll be entering sort of a new phase of my career as a counselor. And I've been off now for a good week and a half enjoying the summer. And I spent maybe a half a day um, on one of these first few days that I had off. And I was trying to think, you know, what can I do to uh, streamline um, my online presence, um, my online mode of expression? And there's a bit of a history here. For at least uh, 10 years, 11 years, maybe even more, I can't remember if it was 2004 or 2000. Five or 2006. It was right in that, that era where I started my first uh, blog and website. And it was called Head of the Gong. And for those who don't know, that was just sort of a catchphrase that was being bandied about between my friends and I, essentially to mean seize the day and live life to the full. And there's a whole story behind that. I've probably told it before, but so I had this website, and it was really just a platform for me to reach out, connect, express myself. Um, and this was back it's in the seeming early days of the Internet. And so I did a lot of writing, um, and I still have most of the stuff from the early days still on the website. So I had things like creative writing projects, songs that I would write, uh, the bands that I was in, I would put the music on the website for that, uh, friends of mine that had that had bands. And I kept that going for years and years, and it really became a pretty interesting, many-headed monster. I had not only creativity stuff, but basically anything that interested me. And now I'm somebody that has two master's degrees in psychology. I'm very interested in psychology, consciousness, meditation, philosophy, 
uh, that kind of thing. And so I would, my, if you call that, you know, my academic interests, I, I did a lot of writing and thinking about that as well on the website. And I was fine with having all of that just in one place and not really having much of a theme to the website other than this is just me and what I'm interested in. Uh, somewhere along the line, 2009, 2010, I was training to be an integrative health coach. This is one of the many incarnations that I've been through where I wasn't really happy as a mental health professional and I was looking for something that was going to be a little more aligned with what I wanted to do. There was this new field called health coaching. I happened to live right near Duke University and they were putting on this training in integrative health coaching. And during that time, I basically created a new website and took all the academic stuff, the psychology, consciousness, meditation stuff, and put it under this new umbrella called Integral Health Resources. And then so for the past seven years or so, I've had these two websites. Um, and they're sort of linked. If you go to headthegong.com, you can see a link to get to Integral Health Resources and vice versa. But there's, you know, two separate Facebook pages, two separate Twitter accounts. Uh, one, you know, was basically more professional. The other was more personal. And this has sort of worked, but then I was thinking it's kind of exhausting to try to do two podcasts, two blogs, two everything. Why not just bring it all back together? But um, I don't know. I still haven't found a good way to do that. You know, I, I have a certain number of followers from integral health resources. And anyway, after going back and forth a million times, I decided for now to just keep the two separate websites, the two separate podcasts. This particular episode, I think I'm going to post on both podcasts, on both websites. So this is sort of a cross podcast. There's definitely going to be some themes that I think can fit in either place. Um, I did publish an article a couple of days ago on the Integral Health Resources website. And it was about a guy named Tristan Harris and a movement that he has spearheaded called Time Well Spent. And Tristan Harris is a guy, he worked for Google for a while. He was called, I believe, a design ethicist. And he had an insight um, and a long history of working in the tech industry where he realized that the way that technology was currently designed, it wasn't supporting uh, people's deepest intentions and the way they wanted to live their lives. But it was just simply, you know, supporting advertising revenue and, and corporate profits. And he noticed that these technologies, whether it was Google, Facebook, different apps, uh, smartphones, that they were basically designed simply to grab as much of the user's attention as possible because we live in this, uh, what he's calling an attention economy, where basically attention is the scarce resource and everybody wants more of it. And there's this sort of what Harris calls a race to the bottom of the brainstem, where all these corporations are using uh, tried and true methods of persuasion and um, psychology that they know 
is going to grab people's attention and you know make their particular platforms more and more addictive like you see it in things like uh when youtube went to an autoplay format where it just goes right into the next video well that you know obviously they did that because they discovered that's going to keep you on their site longer you're more likely to stay longer if it just goes right into that video and you don't have a chance to think about what you want to do next and then platforms like Netflix had to follow suit. You know, if we if we want to compete with YouTube, well, we're going to have to have autoplay. And, you know, Facebook has autoplay. So now you can see autoplay now is the new normal because they realize that that's going to grab your attention uh, and keep it in one place. And, you know, you see the same things with notifications on smartphones and other digital media where... People realize that if you see a little notification, well, you're going to have to check out and see what that is because it might be something important. You know, there's that that fear of missing out that a lot of us can relate to. And it's just gotten to the point now where you get just notifications for stupid things that are just, you know, they're not your friends or someone trying to get in touch with you. It's just the platform trying to sucker you into taking a look and, um, and it's, you know, they're using tactics like this more and more, trying to suck out more and more of our, our attention. So Tristan Harris, I first heard him talk about his time well spent movement when he was on the Waking Up podcast, which is a podcast that Sam Harris does. And the episode there is called What is Technology Doing to Us? And then I found that to be so interesting that I checked out all the other stuff that Tristan Harris was doing. He had a TED Talk, and he was on 60 Minutes with Anderson Cooper, or PBS. Of course, he's got his own website. And this really interests me in a lot of ways, and the, one of the reasons I think it, it fits with both websites is it, it, all, it all centers around this idea of attention. And if there's anything central... If there's a central project to my whole life, it's the it's trying to be more present and have the quality of my attention be of a higher quality. Uh, clear attention is everything to me. It's what distinguishes, you know, malaise from being present. It's what it determines the quality of your mind. The attention, the quality of your attention is the quality of your mind. The quality of your mind is the quality of your, the quality of your life. And it's that simple for me and that basic, but you see that everything in our society is attempting to control your attention, to grab it, to control its patterns, its flows. So being aware of how attention is shaped uh, by outside forces, by culture, and also by the things that we all do in life and how we can, you know, shape our own attention so it's it's more clear and more focused on the goals and values that, that we hold and not that corporations hold or, or other forces in the culture hold. So this idea of attention fascinates me. So, of course, Tristan Harris's work is s- central to this this process because he's talking about this overall attention economy where everybody's competing for your attention and trying to control it in certain ways and basically what we can do about that. So that fits in with my integral health resources stuff because, uh, you know, it's all about psychology and consciousness and attention. And, but it also fits in with the more creative 
side, because one of the things I've discovered in recent years especially is that this is a zero-sum game between uh, distractotainment, I call it, which is basically the time that I spend staring at screens that's not productive. It's, it's, um, it's a distraction or I'm being entertained. Sometimes I'm engaged and interested, but basically I'm a content consumer in that mode. And that's different, obviously, from being a content creator when I'm writing, creating music and podcasting. And I guess you have to consume some to give you something to create about, but the balance has been way, way off for me, where I'll find that I'm not doing a lot of creative stuff because I only have a certain amount of free time and I'm spending way, way too much of it consuming content, staring at screens. And part of it is because I'm, like everyone, I'm subject to these forces. I mean, these companies have my number. They know what's going to grab my attention, what's going to keep it there. Even if I don't feel good about doing it, it's like a bad diet or something. It's like, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. You have that sick feeling like I just killed, you know, two hours going down a YouTube rabbit hole and got nothing out of it. And now, you know, I'm no longer in a creative mode. I'm not in a place where I want to do any creating or I've, I've run out of time. So anyway, Tristan Harris is, is somebody that is well worth checking out. And he really lays out what's been happening, especially in recent uh, years on these technological platforms to kind of mess with your attention. Um, here's, here's how he lays out the problem um, and see if you can relate to this. Harris says, quote, we grow less and less patient for reality as it is, especially when it's boring or uncomfortable. We come to expect more from the world, more rapidly. And because reality can't live up to our expectations, it reinforces how often we want to turn to our screens, a self-reinforcing feedback loop. And because of the attention economy, every product will only get more persuasive over time. Um, so yeah, so and, and here's a guy, Harris, aside from working in the tech industry and for Google, he was also an amateur magician through a lot of his life. So he has a real appreciation for these technologies of persuasion, these ways in which a person or a company can manipulate perception and attention to further their goals. And then you might not even realize that as a consumer or a customer that you're not furthering your goals at all, but uh, you're really just sort of being uh, pulled around by the puppet master. Harris also says, quote, the attention economy tears our minds apart with its onslaught of never-ending choices, never-ending supply of relationships and obligations, the attention economy bulldozes the natural shape of our physical and psychological limits and turns impulses into bad habits. So I find that to be to be really interesting, and I definitely see that. I mean, these companies are working on our natural tendencies that have evolved through millennia. Um, social reciprocity is one. They know that the human condition is such that we feel the need to get back to somebody. So they use that by, you know, sending us notifications, for instance, hey, it's so-and-so's birthday, or 
so-and-so posted a new profile picture, um, uh, things like that. Like we're, we are built to respond to the social reciprocity cues, uh, you know, so we're, we're going to want to get back to someone else. So those little notifications are definitely set up that way. And of course, social approval is something that we're also built to care about. And social media is very much like that. I mean, you want someone to like the photo of you that, that you threw up there or the new song that you put up or the new podcast or the new blog post. Um, and social comparison is another thing in there that, you know, obviously we're, we want the respect of our peers and our families. And so it's a lot of social media is playing on that to get us uh, to spend more time on their platforms. And of course, we're also novelty seeking human beings. Uh, We want surprises over the predictable. And the internet is just like this big box of surprises and it seems to be endless. So, we're, you know, as millions of people have pointed this out, I mean, we're not really bored anymore. We're not standing in line, you know, just being bored and looking around. We're just staring at a device. So we don't have that downtime like we used to have. Um, and, of course, there's always been books and things like that. But there's there tended to be situations where, you know, you were actually just going to have to be bored and your mind could sort of wander. And we, we fill those moments up now with uh, these times of being engaged with our, our portable technology. So, um, And this is only going to get worse, like Harris says. I mean, as, as long as advertising dollars is how, is how all these things run, and the more advertising dollars the more money for a company and the way to get that is to get eyeballs on their websites. It just seems like these companies are going to have to become more and more and more persuasive. And we really need to be on guard for this because some of these um, processes can be pretty insidious. Like you, everyone probably can notice that the, the media, whether it's Facebook or the news, they know that, um, outrage sells. And so they're working on us trying to put outrageous headlines, headlines that we think are going to be outrageous. So if you're on the left, it's going to be, you know, a certain type of headline is going to get you mad. If you're on the right, another type of headline is going to get you mad. And these algorithms that Facebook and other social media platforms use are just designed to put more and more of that in front of our faces because we're going to click on it. We like to feel outraged. And so then really these, you know, these platforms just serve that up constantly to the point where it's just distorting reality. And of course, you know, one would think by looking at social media feeds and watching the news that there's nothing but chaos happening. But really, it's just the natural outcome of going, as Tristan Harris says, lower and lower on the brainstem. The lower you go on the brainstem as far as the technologies of persuasion that you're using, the more compelling it's going to be, the, the less conscious a person is going to be of uh, the various forces that are working on them. Because we have some very primal, uh, tribalism is one of them, um, you know, a negativity bias for, for anger and outrage. There's these things that we almost can't help but focus our attention on if they're put before us. 
And these, these, um, these companies know that and they design their products and their platforms with that in mind. So what can we do about it? I mean, we obviously just being aware of it, you know, I try to not turn away from the fact that I'm just as addicted to these things as anyone else. And I'm, I'm definitely struggling with it a lot over the last couple years, especially, uh, despite my awareness of it, I still feel like I, um, giving into distractotainment way too much. And it's obviously taking away from the time that I could be creating and getting better at things. And, and so, um, it's weird because Tristan Harris also, when he's talking about, uh, how this, this process takes impulses that we all have and turns them into bad habits, it, it is really analogous to, uh, a drug addiction in a way. Cause on one hand, you think you, you have agency, you could just choose, you know, not to look at the stuff or, you know, choose not to buy a smartphone or, or not to, to, to use it all the time. And that's true in a sense. But what he's pointing out is there's a, what he calls a choice architecture. That is the menu of choices that we're given as being some things are on there and some things aren't. So we're choosing from these persuasive menus created by the you know design choices of a handful of tech people and their goals are probably different than ours their goals are to keep you know our attention locked on various platforms and our goals may be to be more creatively productive you know to to have a balance of social connection with other things and so yes you you have a choice but when that choice architecture is specifically designed to play on uh, the frailties that we all have as human beings. And there's all these techniques of persuasion that are brought to bear on us um, that we're all susceptible to. Um, yes, you still have a choice, but it's, it's, you're not as free in that choice as you would think. And that's, I think, can happen with drug addicts, too, where you think, oh, just, just don't do the drugs. But it's, it's not that simple because your judgment is changed uh, when you're in that physiological state of addiction. Um, so all this stuff is, is interesting. Another uh, something I, I thought was an interesting connection was I'm, I'm rereading a book by Alan Watts. Alan Watts is a guy that got famous in the 60s, even though I think he started writing in the 50s. He was one of the first people to popularize Eastern religion and meditation. And um, he's got a lot of really interesting books in that vein. One of the his books that really influenced me a ton is called The Wisdom of Insecurity. And um just happened to be rereading it while I was uh, taking in some of this stuff by Tristan Harris. And this is a book written in 1951. And the stuff that Watts is talking about as far as um, the way the culture tries to, you know, get us all caught up in these endless cycles of distraction and trying to escape from ourselves. I mean, it's, it's really, uh, it's dead on. It's almost like, you know, he's, he anticipated the moment that we're in now. Um, Here's a quote that I found um, 
particularly spot on when he's talking about, basically talking about the attention economy. He says, quote, this economy is designed to produce happiness in a fantastic, vicious circle, which must either manufacture more and more pleasures or else collapse. It provides a constant titillation of the ears, eyes, and nerve ends with incessant streams of almost inescapable noise and visual distraction. The perfect subject for the aims of this economy is the person who continuously itches his ears with the radio, preferably using the portable kind, which can go with him at all hours and in all places. His eyes flit without rest from television screen to newspaper to magazine, keeping him in a sort of orgasm without release. The discourse that goes along with this is similarly manufactured to tease without satisfaction, to replace every partial gratification with a new desire. This stream of stimulants is designed to produce cravings for more and more of the same, to persuade us that happiness lies just around the corner. So you, you can see he's even, you know, talking about how it's specifically designed and, and the persuasion techniques of, of this economy to sort of keep us distracted and, and, and this little, you know, hamster wheel that is hard to break out of. And one of the things I know that Watts talks about a lot in his work is uh, sort of the antidote of spiritual awareness or meditation as a specific technique that can allow you to become aware of all these processes that are going on, the ways that the, the larger culture is, is influencing us. And I noticed that too. It's, a, it's odd that there's a, a major trend of mindfulness these days, and that's going sort of right alongside this other trend of increased distraction and addiction to devices. And I think they sort of go hand in hand where people understand that, you know, spending all, all their time on devices is not something that's making them feel good. And they're recognizing that they need to unplug, but it's, it's difficult to just to do that. So there's a trend not only to put the phone down and, and just meditate and be mindful and step away from all those distractions, but there's uh, even an industry now to go on retreats where you can you know, unplug and, you know, put your phone in a safe or whatever, and just kind of get back to just paying attention to what's going on in your, in your mind and body. So that's one thing you can definitely do if you want to get back to, you know, what are your truest intentions? It's hard to discover that uh, when you're not quiet, when you don't allow the dust to settle and really feel what your deepest intentions are. When you're in a constant state of distraction, it's like just all this white noise and you can't really get at your deepest intentions. And then you feel disconnected from them and you get this, that existential ennui that uh, has plagued me all the time. And even though I've learned this lesson over and over and over again, uh, sometimes I forget and it's like I go back to, okay, I need to get back into meditation and um, some body work that I do, things that, you know, exercise, uh, writing in a journal, things that bring me back to a place where I feel connected with my truest intentions and I can, you know, get familiar with them and sort of follow them along. And that's really, really hard to do in this modern environment where it's just constant stimulation. Like Watts says, you know, through the ears, through the eyes, everything, it's just, it's, it's nonstop. And then you can't, you can't really get to that place where you 
have that inner quiet. And um, so, yeah, it's it's a big problem. Uh, Tristan Harris has his own, um, his own sort of recipe or prescription for this digital disease, like his suggestions for making it better. That leads into his his movement, really, that he calls time well spent. So, you know, Harris is recognizing that there's a whole industry that's designed to prey on our frailties and that the first step is just becoming aware of it. Like we need to become aware that this is what's happening so that we can sort of step away. It's like recognizing that there's a problem, Uh, recognizing that, you know, we have certain limits emotionally and psychologically and that the, the way we're relating to technology is, is really pushing those limits and fatiguing our natural, uh, the natural way that we pay attention to the point where it's affecting our lives and taking us away from the goals that we set for ourselves. And so his prescription is that, you know, is to really take the time to figure out what are your values and goals and then notice, um, is our relationship to technology taking us toward that or away from it? Um, and recognizing that, uh, you know, there are things that people in and out of the tech industry can do about it. His, his time well spent concept is, uh, he has a website that you can go to just Google time well spent. He gives practical solutions that you can work to change your tech habits. Like he shows you different ways to set up, you know, the home screen on your phone, different ways to use your apps, um, to make it. So depending on what your personal goals are, you can sort of design your tech environment so that it's going to support those things and not continually pull away from them. And so these are, these are things that some of us have stumbled on ourselves when we're trying to make sure that our technology is working for us and not against us. Different things dealing with, um, you know, how to set your notifications and so forth. For instance, if you recognize that your relationship to your phone is, is becoming sort of like a slot machine where it just buzzes and there's a little red notification things and you just can't wait to pull that lever and see if something interesting comes up. You know, the first thing you have to recognize is that's, that's, it's designed to do that. Um, the reason slot machines are popular is because they work on this variable reward schedule, which is the most addicting reward schedule. If you want to condition someone, um, to a certain behavior that is, you know, give somebody something interesting some of the time, but not all the time, you know, so keep them coming back. And once you realize that you have to, you know, go into your settings and make some changes, maybe you don't, you know, you don't need to get notifications for this, that, and the other thing and recognize what it's sort of doing to you and then get in there using the design features already in your devices, uh, figuring out what those are and, and changing those settings so that it suits the way that you want to use technology. So Harris does give practical tips to all that stuff on his website. He also is appealing to tech companies to change their design, change their whole philosophy of design so that it's not just about maximizing 
corporate profits, but if, if it becomes a core value that a company wants to benefit their customers' lives, then they may put that into their design. And it's tough. Like, I think he believes, and I agree with him, that as long as, you know, advertising dollars is, the, is what makes all these uh, platforms in the attention economy go, it's going to be really difficult to get companies to consciously step in and, you know, lower the amount of time you're going to spend on their sites and make them less addictive. Because if one company does that, they're going to get eaten up by another company that's not going to play that game. So it's it's an uphill battle. I mean, he's trying to think of, you know, a future where everybody kind of gets on board with a different set of values. And it's, that's going to be difficult. And you, you see some new models in the, in the tech world happening now that um, are a little bit hopeful. I, I really like the whole Patreon concept where content creators can be supported by, by people on a per episode or monthly basis. And then, so they don't have to worry about ad revenue to get paid. There's just a subscription service and, and their audience is directly paying them. So they're only having to answer to the audience. They don't have to tailor their content and the experience that, uh, of their, on their platforms to corporations or ad agencies. So this is a new, a totally new way of doing things that I think could be interesting. But yeah, to get actual tech companies to get on board with changing their design, um, you know, unless that somehow becomes profitable in the same way that, you know, organic food became a thing where people decided they were willing to pay more money for, you know, cage-free or free-range um, chicken stuff because it just aligned with their values. Maybe similarly, people, you know, buy phones or um, participate on social media platforms that are, uh, instead of being green in the sense that they, you know, benefit the environment or something, it, it could be benefiting the, you know, environment of the human mind. If people knew there was a, a company out there that was doing things that, w- that w- weren't simply designed to exploit their central nervous systems and grab their attention at all costs, but really wanted to be tools that could be linked with the customer's own value systems. People may pay more money and then somehow it becomes an, you know, an economic incentive to do that. I'm not really sure, but anyway, it's interesting stuff to think about. Uh, we're all, most of us are interacting with technology, uh, constantly. We're all new to this. I can say that, um, as somebody that has been meditating and trying to be really introspective about all this stuff. Um, despite that, I am really struggling with all this. Uh, just this summer, you know, here I am, I have all this time to, to podcast, to write, to create. I still end up compelled uh, to spend a lot of time on this just distractotainment, and I'm still struggling with ways to try to figure out how to balance that consuming of digital content and still being creative. And maybe I have a lot more agency than I think, and I just need to unplug and suck it up. And, you know, in one sense, 
it is a choice, and I am, I guess, choosing to indulge as much as I am and not uh, be as disciplined. And there's something to be said about that. The people that are real go-getters tend to be up early, and um, they're just, maybe it's just a simple matter of deciding they're going to get stuff done. And all this, this entire podcast has just been me whining, but I don't know. I find it to be interesting. Um, I hope everybody out there thought it was interesting. You can contact me on either one of my websites. For now, I'm going to keep them separated. Integral Health Resources. Again, you can reach me on Twitter at integral underscore health. And for those of you who are more interested in my uh, creative process and so forth, uh, you can go to the Head the Gong website. You can reach me at, at Isaac Dust on Twitter. If you have any questions or comments, um, I'd be happy to engage with you. So until next time, take care.